The views and opinions expressed on this show are purely the views and opinions of the person who made them and do not necessarily reflect or agree with those of the show's commercial sponsors, its radio station affiliates, or Internet broadcast platforms. As the restriction on our God-given right to free speech manifests itself throughout the world, we are inspired by Jesus Christ's immortal words, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And we reserve the rights to all our words. Thank you, and now enjoy the show. Learn who rules over you, simply find out who you are not allowed to criticise. You are listening to ACH, I'm Andy, your host, and today it's Thursday, so it's the time for the visit of my good friend, Dr. Peter Hammond. Let's bring him up right now. Peter, are you with me? I am. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you so much, Peter. And folks, today it is the real story behind The Bad War by MS King Part 8. Now, Peter feels that this might be the final part, but as I um, we had a chat before the show i said if it does need to another part we've done seven already and there's no sense in hurrying this series and uh, i you know with all the sterling work peter's put into it that mike king has also appreciated which is great when the author himself uh, appreciates what uh, peter has done so uh, we're going to see where we go so peter i'll shut up now and hand over to you to take us into part eight Thank you so much. Well, you know, this is an important week. We're heading into Reformation Day, 31 October. And, uh, of course, the world is trying to push Halloween, but I prefer to remember, let's get back to the Bible. And, you know, Reformation Day is all about Martin Luther rediscovering the essential core of the gospel and bring us back to the Bible. And Germany has produced some of the greatest culture, you know, Handel and Bach and Mozart, you just think of the magnificent Strauss, magnificent music, magnificent culture, the uh, great philosophers, and and the Reformation, the birth of Western civilization. And so to see how Germany has been so demonized by the media and by Hollywood and uh, by the narrative and so many school textbooks, it's refreshing to get M.S. King's book that gives you the other side because you, know, you just think we remembering on 31 October Reformation Day, Martin Luther nailed his 95 arguments against superstitions and unbiblical uh, teachings in the Roman Catholic medieval church. And he called people back to conscience kept the word of God. And he launched the whole concept of freedom of speech, freedom of thought, freedom of conscience, freedom of movement, uh, freedom of opinion, uh, freedom of religion. All these principles were unthinkable before the Reformation. And, you know, one of the greatest thinkers and one of the most influential people in all of history has been Professor Martin Luther. I could also add uh, the man who's voted man of the millennium um, uh, at the year 2000, and that was Johannes Gutenberg who invented the printing press. Well, there's so much in a heritage that comes from Germany that's Christian and civilized and advanced and scientific and, you know, what they did to unleash the information age and the uh, space age as well, you know, 
Professor Werner von Braun, the rockets and all of that, and uh, the Apollo landings all due to German scientists like uh, Professor uh, Werner von Braun, who is a dedicated Christian, by the way, too. Uh, so uh, it's important for us to rediscover history and understand. That's why the title, The Bad War, The Truth Never Taught About World War II by M.S. King, is so helpful to us. Well, <clears throat> we're in 1944, and you know we know the narrative. Uh, the Nazi Germans were the worst, most evil, most oppressive people in the history of the world and cruel and savage and uh, uh, praise God for the D-Day landings and saving the world and all the rest. But of course, <clears throat> if the good guys won the Second World War and if the narrative from Hollywood was true, then things would have gotten better since then. But in fact, worldwide, they've gotten a lot worse. And for people like me, a missionary to persecute churches, are dealing with persecuted churches, all of which were free countries for the gospel before 1940s. And uh, uh, now most of them are war zones, dictatorships, persecuted churches, oppression, uh, thanks to Stalin and uh, the Soviet Union. And of course, they were bailed out by the West, who with Lend-Lease gave them billions and hundreds of billions of dollars of high-tech weaponry and tanks and trucks and aircraft and uh, hundreds of millions of rounds of artillery and uh, beyond the billions of rounds of, of ammunition and vast amounts of every kind of technical advance uh, to enable the Soviet Union to survive. So the arsenal of democracy actually saved the worst dictatorship in the history of the world, that of Stalin's Soviet Union. And uh, the other thing which we get to know in M.S. King's book is in 1944, uh, he talks about how the French-controlled North Africans, who were part of the invasion of Italy in 1940s, um, were many of them were nothing but rapists. And so, May 1944, 4,000 Italian women gang raped by French North Africans at Monte Cassino. Monte Cassino, one of the greatest of the uh, libraries in the world, one of the greatest monasteries, the place of learning in the world, which was bombed to pieces. Uh, in the Battle of Monte Cassino, even though the German troops were not in the casino at all. But the Allies brought their thousand bomber raids over, just flattened the whole thing, uh, destroying one of the greatest artifacts, libraries, and um, monuments and museums in, in history. Um, but at the Mon Battle of Monte Cassino, immediately following it, uh, the 6th century abbey was bombed into ruins, and then the French Moroccan troops fighting for them went wild, slitting the throats of prisoners, German and Italian, looting homes, raping every Italian woman they could get their hands on. They even raped local boys and a Catholic priest. Now, this isn't something that they've made a Hollywood film on. Uh, two Italian sisters aged 16 and 18 were gang raped by more than 200 Moroccans. One died of abuse. The other spent the rest of her life in a mental hospital. An average, an estimated 3,000 women between 11 and 86 were raped, gang raped, so much that 100 died. 800 village men who tried to protect them were also killed by these Moroccans who were fighting under the Free French, so-called. And uh, they were unpunished. The Moroccans were unpunished by the Free French commanders and they would later rape and kill again when they occupied Germany. And uh, Italian actress Sophie Loren starred in two women about a mother and daughter savagely raped by French Moroccan conscripts. You probably haven't heard of it. I certainly hadn't before this book. I'm sure it didn't get an Academy Award. 
um, <clears throat> even though Sophie Loren's a very talented actress because it didn't fit the narrative. So I'm sure it's been buried somewhere in a vault. Uh, and the big day, the big D-Day, June the 6th, the sixth hour of the sixth day of the sixth month of 1944, uh, 666, Allied armies based in English um, territories launched D-Day, which is put here, does that stand for Devil's Day? Um, quoting MS King, successfully crossed the English Channel in Operation Overlord. And uh, it was in the first uh, initial beachhead, 100,000 Allied troops hit the beaches and they were confronted by something in the region of ten to 12,000 German forces. So the, the picture that you often get in D-Day, the longest day, general Allied films is, uh, you know, the, the Allies were the minority and the Germans were the overwhelming majority. But in fact, that's not true. The Germans had a, a total of two fighter aircraft available in the whole sector, uh, dealing with 6,000 Allied aircraft. So, you know, two Luftwaffe Messerschmitts versus 6,000 Allied aircraft. And, uh, the uh, Allies actually had uh, well over a million troops ready to come in, but in the, in the first wave, they were hitting it with 100,000 troops. So it was overwhelmingly the Allies had the numbers. Now, the, the picture is that the, the Americans were laying there fighting Germans. Actually, um, the troops in German uniforms there were mostly Russian, Ukrainian, and Czech. Uh, they weren't actually dealing with German troops. There were some German officers but most of the troops that the Allies were dealing with at uh, Normandy were not even German because the bulk of the German army was over in the Eastern Front battling the Red Army, as they had been for years before. But that the whole perspective of the Eastern Front is left out of the Longest Day film. It's like it was some kind of equal um, footing, but it wasn't an equal footing. The full might of the United States and Great Britain and the so-called Free French, uh, the Canadians and other Allies were... Uh, put uh, on this beach in Normandy, and uh, the German army was far away. Um, most of it in, in Russia, of course, uh, fighting uh, the Red Army. Uh, but the Germans were expecting the attack to come primarily near Calais, which is the closest uh, point, crossing point to England. And uh, there was a lot of brilliant deception operations, uh, which we looked at with Max Hastings' book, The Secret War, uh, in a previous uh, era. But the the context to be remembered is the Red Army, armed to the teeth with the state-of-the-art weaponry from especially America, but also they were given thousands of hurricanes and spitfires by Britain. And, uh, you know, you thought the few were lacking equipment, but Britain could still spare thousands of hurricanes and spitfires to give to the Soviet Union. And Canada was giving them a beyond comprehension amount. But we looked at that another time under Freedom Betrayed. Um, on uh, Herbert Hoover's expose of uh, uh, the real story behind the Second World War and America's involvement in it. So Germany is fighting for its life on the Eastern Front, and they're also involved in the South uh, dealing with the invasion of Italy. And so Germany is actually defending West, South, East, well overextended, while the Allied, that's both American Army Air Corps and the Royal Air Force, were coming over in 1,000 bomber raids morning and night, and they were bombing all their cities, railways, dams, factories, civilian population, relentless bombardment. And then there was partisan sabotage, SOE, 
um, special operations executive, setting Europe ablaze, we're doing assassinations, bombings. Uh, according to SOE's official uh, display at the Imperial War Museum in London, which I visited, they claimed that they conducted over 16,500 assassinations, bombings and sabotage operations behind the lines. So that's a lot of what we would today call terrorism. Um, to have to deal with behind the lines, 16,500 different terrorist operations that SOE oversaw. Um, and that's not counting the Soviet partisans, which is another story. And so in order to give Stalin time to conquer Eastern Europe, General Eisenhower and, and Marshall repeatedly delayed the advance of General Patton's Third Army, at going so far as to cut off shipments of gasoline to Patton's army. So he literally, his tanks ran dry and were stuck and stationary because of lack of fuel, not because of logistical prob problems, but as a matter of policy from Eisenhower's HQ, that Patton's army must be slowed down because Zhukov, the Russian chief, must be allowed to take Berlin first. That was the agreement at the Yalta Agreement. And so Patton stated in August 1944, at the present time, a chief difficulty is not the Germans, but gasoline. If Eisenhower would give me enough gasoline, I could go all the way to Berlin before Zhukov. And uh, so that's just another inkling as to why General Patton got assassinated. We dealt with that in another program. So instead of exploiting the soft underbelly of Italy, as it was described, the Allies stormed the fortified French beaches and uh, something like 10,000 people died on the first day of the Battle of D-Day Normandy and there's huge fields of graves um, of the people who died there. And when you think that that wasn't even necessary, if they'd accepted uh, Rudolf Hess's proposals uh, for a complete German withdrawal from all the Western areas, a reset to 1939 boundaries, um, all the Allies had to do from their side is stop bombing Germany and stop uh, the, the war at sea, blockading Germany's trade, and uh, let Germany carry on in the East. They were asking nothing in return the Allies could have gotten the whole of Western Europe without a shot being fired or a person dying or a bomb being dropped already in May 1941, earlier actually, because there were 14 different peace proposals from 1939 to 1941, uh, but the most dramatic being, of course, Rudolf Hess's peace flight. And, uh, but that was all ignored. So even all this courage and tenacity, and one has to respect the men involved in the battle on, on, on all sides, um, but it wasn't necessary if that peace off of 1941. And we looked at another previous show on Rudolf Hess and the real turning point in World War II, which was definitely 1941, May 1941. Imagine if the Allies had accepted that peace offer and Western Europe was liberated without another shot being fired or person being killed. And Germany was given a free hand to deal with the threat, the clear and present danger of the Soviet Union threatening all of Europe. Operation Barbarossa would have definitely succeeded, uh, especially if the West hadn't been giving billions of dollars of high-tech weaponry to the Soviets to replenish what they lost in battle against the Wehrmacht. So 1944, uh, France has been liberated, so they say. Uh, but according to M.S. King's uh, book here, the, the Bad War, what was meant to be a temporary wartime German occupation, 1940 to 1944, was actually very peaceful for the French civilians. The conduct of the German occupiers was impeccable. And while many French women fell in love with German soldiers, 
there was no cases of rape or abuse of the French women, as happened after the Allied invasion. Uh, but uh, and in fact, uh, what may shock and shatter many people is to know that immediately that Germany defeated Norway, uh, Netherlands, Belgium, France, they set all the soldiers free, as they did in Poland. Um, they didn't keep the enemy defeated enemy prisoners in prison camps. They set them all free to be reintegrated back to normal life. It was considered the war's over for them. So in some cases, the soldiers spent a few days in captivity and then were set free. Uh, Quite a a contrast from how German soldiers were kept in gulags for 10 years after uh, the end of the Second World War, working as slave laborers in Stalin's Arctic hellhole. Of course, only a fraction ever returned and survived. But uh, here... We are seeing in the summer of 1944, the Allies unleashed furious aerial bombardment campaign, destroying entire towns in France. Now, we know about the bombing of 62 cities in Germany and killing of about 2 million German civilians in the aerial bombardment of Germany. That's understood. But how many people know that the Allied bombardment of France in the liberation of France killed 65,000 French civilians and 150,000 injured and crippled and half a million Frenchmen left homeless by Allied bombing. So the French cities were never bombed by the Germans, but they were bombed by the Allies, by the the French Allies, the friends of the French. Even Paris was heavily bombed by the Allies, and had never been bombed by the Germans, um, which is extraordinary. So twice as many French civilians were bombed to death during a few months during D-Day landings and following as the total number of British civilians killed during the entire war on all fronts, including by bombing, sea, and all the rest. But that pales in insignificance compared to the millions of German civilians killed by the Allied bombings, the thousand bomber raids, which was coming in towards the end every single day and night, the Americans by day, the British by night. But the horror didn't end with the bombardments. When the Allies liberated France, not only was the economic collapse, uh, but uh, the American troops raped thousands and thousands of French women, and many thousands more hungry women were turned into sex slaves, effectively uh, sex for food type prostitutes. And to appease the French population, the US Army eventually had to hang 130 of its rapist soldiers, a majority of them black. But there's a book out called The Deserters, which is just about the hundreds of American troops who deserted during the French campaign and just saw all Paris wide open. And many of them were gangsters from Detroit and Chicago. And they they turned Paris into a free fire zone, um, Detroit type, uh, El Capone, a gangster paradise where they were raping, murdering at at, um, will. And the military police were even terrified to deal with them. These people were well armed. And these were American deserters who, uh, many of them black and others of them uh, Italian mafia types, uh, and they did some hideous atrocities to the French and terrorized the French police and the local population. So that the interesting thing is the four years of occupation by the German army, there was no significant atrocities. But the Allied liberation, there were thousands of hideous atrocities, rapes and murders and um, it would take years for some areas of France to recover from their liberation. And um, uh, I see MS King describes de Gaulle as the French traitor, uh, which you can understand when you consider these facts. So the liberation left death, trauma and homelessness in their wake. 
and a lot of heavy civilian deaths as they bombed Paris factories and more. At the same time, July 1944, the Red Army was rolling into Poland and Germany was in full retreat because uh, they were running out of almost everything, especially manpower and weaponry and uh, fuel in particular. And the Soviets had a free arsenal of tanks and Tommy guns and planes and trucks and jeeps and bombers and food and blankets and boots and uh, just millions of everything uh, pouring in uh, through Mamansk and through uh, from Alaska and uh, up through Persia, which Iran, which had been invaded by the Allies to uh, take over this neutral country to make it a channel to send most of the aid for the Soviet Union came through through Iran. Um, and uh, of course, the ones going to Mamansk were going by uh, Iceland, which was also a neutral country invaded by the Allies, which doesn't enter most of the narrative textbooks because that doesn't fit. So with the massive supply, the uh, Soviets are aiming to crush Berlin and the murdering, raping Reds rolled into Poland and Poles who had been treated pretty well compared by the Germans faced a nightmare under the Soviets. And many German civilians began to flee westwards by land and also those up in Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia had to flee by the Baltic uh, coast. And uh, in July 1944, the Bretton Woods Conference established the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund. And so the chaos of World War II gave the globalists an opportunity to reshape the monetary system into what they called a global economy. And so Bretton Woods Conference in New Hampshire, 730 delegates from 44 countries set up new rules for commercial and financial relations. And the United States is represented by Harry Dexter White, or Vice, Harry Dexter Vice, son of a Jewish immigrant from Russian Empire. Uh, years after Bretton Woods, uh, Dexter White was revealed to be a Soviet spy. Surprise, surprise. It seems that everybody of importance that the Eisenhower administration um, appointed to key positions were actually Soviet spies, including uh, the first general secretary of the United Nations, uh, which was Olga Hiss, also a Soviet spy. The top British delegate was the legendary Fabian socialist, um, John Maynard Keynes, um, also described here as a homosexual pedophile and secret communist. Uh, Keynes uh, suggested the creation of world currency issued by a global central bank, but the world was not ready for such a radical step towards this new world order. But instead of the global currency, each nation would link the value of the currency to the US dollar, which effectively served as an international currency, as the international medium of exchange. So they made a big advance forward for the new world order with the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank, which all came out of Bretton Woods under uh, Harry Dexter White and um, uh, out of uh, John Maynard Keynes contribution. So very shady Soviet agents, Fabian Marxist pedophiles, and others crafting the world's debt-based monetary system, uh, which we are suffering under to this day. And that reminds one of Stephen Mitford Goodson's book on a history of banking and the enslavement of mankind, which was another pro program we did. So at this moment, the 20th of July, 1944, Operation Valkyrie swings into play and there's an assassination attempt against Adolf Hitler. There had actually been about 14 assassination attempts on Adolf Hitler, serious ones. Uh, but uh, this was 
the most serious, and it almost succeeded, um, led by Colonel Klaus von Stauffenberg, a war hero who had um, lost an arm and several fingers and an eye uh, in North Africa. He um, attempted to kill Adolf Hitler by placing a bomb in a briefcase, which had been provided by SOE, uh, the Special Operations Executive of Britain. So British spies had provided through the Abwehr. Um, so the German military intelligence had was riddled with spies and traitors uh, to the German cause who uh, provided the CO2 plastic explosive and the, um, the acid-based um, timer uh, to Klaus von Stauffenberg. It was smuggled through neutral Sweden um, and the Abwehr uh, made this possible. So there were obviously a lot of a lot of traitors uh, involved, in, including an incredible amount of generals. And uh, it explains why Germany was being undermined on many levels in its war effort. Bear in mind that 20% of the German population voted for the Communist Party in 1932. So uh, there were genuine traitors, and it's proved by Max Hastings, the secret war from the uh, decrypts, ultra and all the rest that was unveiled after 60 years under lock and key, that in fact, uh, the Allies knew everything Germany was doing from the inside, not only from decrypts and uh, deciphering, but uh, also from a huge amount of spies. And the Russians had massive amounts of double agents working within Germany, uh, even right up in the high command. And that's why much of the Eastern Front collapsed at key points when key generals who were actually loyal to the communists, um, ordered their men to lay down their weapons and surrendered en masse, <clears throat> but creating huge gulfs in the Eastern Front. So, um, But that's not part of the normal narrative that you're going to get from Hollywood. But MS Kings bring this out. So the conspiracy unraveled, even though the suitcase bomb did explode, very close to Adolf Hitler. And yet, incredibly, although three officers were killed, the stenographer was killed, Hitler survived with a perforated eardrum and um, uh, some some gashes to his leg. But incredibly, although his trousers were literally uh, singed and torn, uh, he survived. And uh, the conspiracy um, people were all executed soon. And uh, that was obviously quite a terrible morale hit. They are in retreat in the West and in the East, and uh, he get an assassination attempt on the high command right at that very moment. So uh, 1944 to 1945, M.S. King points out that typhus epidemics devastated the German concentration camps or internment camps, labor camps. And typhus is spread by head lice. Historically, typhus is spread by wars and crowded conditions. So decomposing Corpses that have typhus can spread the disease also into local groundwater if you're not fussy about how you bury bodies, which often in times of war, and you've got bombings and you've got uh, disruption of the plumbing supply and bridges blown up and uh, all the rest you can imagine. So uh, during the First World War, five million Poles and Russians died of typhus. So typhus uh, is a real killer. So just Stopped the spread of typhus, the Germans shaved the heads of prisoners or deloused them in gas chambers. And uh, these, the situation in Germany deteriorated fast. Deadly typhus epidemics broke out in internment camps, especially in Poland. And the Allied bombardment of railroads and medical factories contributed greatly to this medical crisis. 
But instead, in spite of Germany's well-documented efforts to stop the typhus epidemic, uh, the deaths in the concentration camps mounted throughout 1944 and 1945. And after the war, the Allied propaganda portrayed the typhus deaths as evidence of a deliberate extermination program aimed at the Jews. Now, bear in mind that vast amounts of our people, South African Boers, Afrikaners, died in British concentration camps in the uh, Anglo-Boer War of 1899 to 1902. In fact, uh, they were dying at a rate of a quarter of the population a year. So that means in four years, everyone in the British camps would be dead if the war had lasted that long. And we lost so many of our people there that uh, the whites in South Africa went from being a majority to being a minority. Um, and today would be uh, the largest tribe and outnumber all others, like whites in Australia outnumbered the Aborigines. Um, but the British camps were, because of lack of hygiene and, and deliberate lack of food, because they were trying to punish the women for the men still fighting. And uh, the women and children died at such a rate that during the Anglo-Boer War, we had six to seven women and children die for every one uh, of the Boers men who died in action. So uh, nobody's suggesting that the British used gas chambers or had an extermination program for the for the Boers, although Stephen Mitford Goodson has written a book, Genocide of the Boers, showing how uh, the Rothschilds did, in fact, plan to kill all the uh, Boers, uh, bring the population dramatically down to make more possible that they could control the richest real estate on earth, the gold mines and diamond mines of South Africa. Uh, but nevertheless, we would never uh, suggest that the British soldiers intentionally planned genocide, even though uh, the high-up Rothschild bankers had that as their overall plan. And I can show you pictures of more emaciated Boers in the British concentration camps uh, than you could show of uh, Jews in Auschwitz or Buchenwald or any of those camps at the end of the Second World War. And the Allies could not say, well, we were trying to feed them, but, you know, we were being hit with thousand bomber raids, which are disrupting everything and naval blockades. No, that they, they controlled the seas. Uh, there was no air attacks. And so there's less excuse for the typhus and the uh, starvation in the British concentration camps in South Africa uh, than there is for what Germany was uh, facing, facing a total war, including unprecedented aerial bombardments, a thousand bomber raids. And so many of these emaciated uh, cases that we saw were people dying of typhus or of starvation caused by the Allied aerial bombardments. Uh, but of course, the people who produced the Zyklon B to kill lice, uh, the entire um, a board of, of the IB Farben got hung at uh, Nuremberg uh, Tribunal uh, for producing Zyklon B, even though it's now been proven that Zyklon B uh, was actually saving lives in the camps by killing lice and uh, being an, an excellent um, a fumigant. Uh, again. And once the Zyklon B arrived, deaths in the camps decreased. But anyway, those are, are just matters that uh, obviously don't fit the narrative. August 1944, the Vichy government of France was toppled by the Allies, and the vengeful General de Gaulle returned and murdered 40,000 of his own people. Now, I don't know how many people know that as many uh, Frenchmen were killed uh, in the liberation of France by the regime of de Gaulle as were guillotined by Robespierre in the French Revolution of 1789. Um, 40,000 were guillotined back in the Red Terror. Uh, 
Well, another 40,000 were killed uh, in the liberation of France, and we're talking about in cold blood. French women who had dated or gone out with German soldiers were stripped naked and had their heads shaved bald in public. Uh, Marshal Patin escaped to Germany, but was sentenced to death for treason, uh, despite being a great hero from World War I. Uh, there was a great outcry, and de Gaulle had to reduce his sentence to life in prison. Not that Patin had done anything particularly wrong, except um, surrendered uh, when he was overwhelmed in, in battle. Uh, but uh, a whole lot of Frenchmen and French women who were called collaborators uh, were executed in France or murdered by mobs. And so the liberation wasn't quite as noble as the book, the longest, or the film, Longest Day, depicts. Well, January 8th, 1945, New York Times publishes another six million Jews dead uh, claim. And uh, that's interesting because MS King's showing how, dating back to 1900, the claim of nine million Jews in jeopardy of dying or being killed with first by the Tsar now uh, in Germany, by the Third Reich, uh, were being over and over uh, published, even though there was no real evidence for this. So... As far back as 1933, Letensky uh, was accused by both Latvia and of Germany of spreading false atrocity propaganda. And Letensky had actually been expelled from Germany for telling atrocity lies. Uh, notice expelled, not killed. With neither investigation nor confirmation, Letensky's claim of six million dead was immortalized in the Jewish-owned New York Times. Most prestigious newspaper in the world, they claimed, in self-promotion, gave a huge boast to this lie. And, of course, it served the propaganda purposes of Eisenhower and others to motivate their troops. And so none of the major concentration camps had been liberated yet, and yet they're talking about six million already in January the 8th, 1945. And uh, then uh, Auschwitz is liberated, so-called, January, uh, January 27th, Although my friends in Poland deny this, they say, no, the Russians never liberated anyone and nobody got liberated from Auschwitz because Auschwitz continued to be used as a Soviet concentration camp for another nine years after the war. So Germany ran Auschwitz for four years, but the Red Army ran Auschwitz for nine years. And my friends in Poland, where I've ministered, including people who lived in the very area, uh, said, no, more people died, more Christians died in Auschwitz under the communists than Jews ever died under the Germans in Auschwitz, and that's including people dying of typhoid and all other natural diseases. Interestingly, M.S. King puts here the Red Cross at the end of the war, uh, gave an exact uh, re record of deaths in German internment camps, which they gave in all internment camps from all reasons, uh, all um, uh, origins and nationalities, 270,000, most of these from typhus, and that's according to the International Committee of the Red Cross, and I've been to their headquarters in Geneva, where they've got these records, and they've got card index files still from the war, every camp, names, numbers, when people died, what they died of, and so on. And while it does include a few hangings and firing squads and executions for partisans and, and capital crimes of different sorts, like rape and murder and so on, uh, there, uh, there's no doubt that the vast majority did die of natural causes like typhus. And um, the number based on the records of the Red Cross at the time um, has never got much publicity because the 6 million was being printed all over the New York Times and so on. And the goal was raising 6 
million dollars um, uh, for the six million Jews dying in Europe. And that, that was just one of the United Jewish Campaign of New York. And um, a trustee that probably has not been uh, reported much, January the 30th, 1945, the worst sea disaster in the history of the world. No, not the Titanic. It's the Willem Gustloff. 10,000 German refugees uh, perished, went into the sea with the MV Willem Gustloff when Soviet submarine uh, sent four uh, torpedoes into this hospital ship, which was carrying refugees, carrying 12,000 refugees and huge amounts of uh, children amongst them, thousands of children. And uh, despite the Willem Gustloff sinking in 45 minutes, uh, some German ships arrived quickly, little e-boats and so on, small uh, vessels managed to pluck a thousand survivors from the freezing uh, Baltic Sea. I mean, this is winter. This is January the 30th. And uh, so for the act of genocide, uh, the um, Soviets built a memorial to Commander Marensko, who got an order of Lenin and all the rest of it for um, killing something in the region of 9,000 civilians. Um, uh, in, in the worst sea disaster in history, which doesn't seem to make the Guinness Book of Records normally because it doesn't fit the narrative. Also February 1945, the Yalta Conference, Franklin Delano Roosevelt gives everything that Stalin wants. The whole of Eastern Europe is betrayed at Yalta. Uh, Stalin, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, Churchill uh, made easy concessions to the Soviets and red spies like Alga Hiss and Harry Hopkins were influencing FDR uh, to just give Stalin whatever he wanted. The Soviets would take the whole of Eastern Europe, 150 million Christians in 110 countries betrayed behind the Iron Curtain. The Soviets would join the war against Japan and be supplied with more American weapons for its unnecessary effort. After Japan's defeated, the Soviets would occupy North Korea, no approval from the Koreans, uh, and Manchuria. Um, in China, without China's approval either, by the way, millions of Russian POWs captured by Germany, as well as Russian refugees who fled Stalin, as well as Russians who fled from Stalin and, and Lenin back in 1918, 19, uh, 19 and uh, many Russians who'd been born in Western Europe, um, uh, free of Stalin, they would all be betrayed, handed back over to Stalin by force. And this is what was called Operation Kielhall, much more than that. Not just Russians, but Ukrainians and other East Europeans, including Russians who had fought for Germany and their relatives and their children, the babies, the whole lot. And this was brutally done. And that's one of the most savage uh, uh, facts that was concealed. Uh, that was concealed for 30 years, made a top secret. But uh, this, of course, was known by people like Alexander Solzhenitsyn and others who were speaking about this long before it was confirmed by the Allied war files where the, when those folders were actually unsealed. So very murderous. At the same time, February 13th to 15th, Ash Wednesday, the Holocaust of Dresden, hundreds of thousands of civilians killed in the firebombing of Dresden as the RAF came in multiple waves with 1,000 bomber raids at night and the U.S. Army Air Force in the morning. And they just, this is a civilian city. This is the Venice of the North. This is a beautiful cultural city. No military significance. The city was swollen with hundreds of thousands of refugees fleeing the Red Army, which was only about 80 miles away. And 
they came and they didn't only bomb them, but the American and British fighter planes in the daytime came and strafed the civilians trying to flee with their pathetic little what they could uh, take on their little ox carts and wagons trying to push wheelbarrows of things and they were being strafed by allied machine gunners. And also what's horrific is that a whole lot of the dead bodies that were piled up in the Altmark, the market square in Dresden, which were incinerated because of, of course, the real fear of typhus and other things like that, cremated in the city square. Pictures of that continue to be circulating. I still see them now, not only in Life magazine at the time, but I've seen in textbooks of Jews killed in German concentration camps, except when you look closer. You can see that, in fact, there are brick buildings and uh, high-rise buildings behind, and it's the Altmark. This is not a concentration camp. And these aren't Jews. These are German civilians, women and children mainly, uh, being uh, killed uh, by Allied bombings and being uh, cremated afterwards. And yet that those pictures have been misused uh, and uh, misattributed by people who must have known better. In fact, just examining the pictures critically, you can see that. And although it would be overshadowed by the subsequent atomic bombs, the firebombing of Tokyo, 10th of March, 100,000 civilians killed in the firebombing of Tokyo by the U.S. Army Air Force, and uh, absolutely horrific uh, in, in, in the destruction, bearing in mind that much of Tokyo was wood and paper type uh, buildings, and it just it just burned. It just horrific, horrific destruction. And so these were real uh, Holocaust um, fire bombings of, of the city of Tokyo, Dresden, and of course Hamburg and Cologne and uh, so many other cities one can mention too. Well, FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, finally died 18, uh, the 12th of April, 1945, and he is succeeded by Truman. And... Uh, uh, Roosevelt must have been one of the worst um, leaders in American history, having betrayed something like a third of the world's population under the hands of, of Stalin's Soviet Union. Uh, he was as corrupt as it comes, and his legacy was class warfare, welfare state, brutal foreign warfare state overseas, bankrupting the United States, killing innocents abroad. Um, in fact, there's no better analysis of his um, of FDR's legacy than that by President Herbert Hoover in his book Freedom Betrayed, um, Secret History of America's Involvement in the, First World, in the Second World War and its Aftermath. Well, Eisenhower ordered Patton's army to halt um, so that Berlin and Eastern Europe could be reserved for Stalin. And uh, in fact, even after he liberated part of Czechoslovakia, Patton was ordered to withdraw because Czechoslovakia also was to be given to the Soviets. And uh, in time when Patton had had enough and he wanted to resign his commission and go and f open up a new front against a real enemy, as he put it, uh, the traitors in Washington, D.C., he was murdered, assassinated, and that was another subject of one of our programs in the past. Soviet sub sank the Goya on the 16th of April, 7,000 more German civilians, refugees, murdered at sea, um, uh, absolutely horrific, uh, the death toll, was equivalent to about seven Titanics. As, uh, and again, for this war crime, Captain Konolov was awarded the Soviets' highest military decoration here of the Soviet Union. And so the Baltic became a graveyard for tens of thousands of refugees uh, um, who were sunk while fleeing 
uh, from the Red Army's raping hordes. The Italian communists murdered Mussolini and uh, and sodomized his body and ripped his, uh, his girlfriend and clothes off and hanged him upside down in public in Milan. And this uh, is part of the reason why Adolf Hitler chose when he committed suicide to have himself and his uh, new wife, uh, Eva Braun, actually cremated uh, because he didn't want his body being treated like uh, his friend and ally Mussolini's had been uh, so horrifically. And uh, in Hitler's will, he writes in his final testament, uh, which is extremely interesting, because the day before committing suicide, he dictated his final political testament. More than 30 years have passed since I, in 1914, made my monastery contribution as a volunteer in the First World War, which was forced upon the Reich. In these three decades, I've been actuated solely by love and loyalty to my people and all my thoughts, acts in life. They gave me the strength to make the most difficult decisions that I've ever confronted any mortal man. I've spent my time, my working strength and my health in these three decades. It is untrue that I or anyone else in Germany wanted war in 1939. It was wanted and provoked solely by international statesmen of Jewish origin or working for Jewish interests. I've made too many offers for the control and liquidation of armaments, which posterity will not for all time be able to disregard for the responsibility for the outbreak of this war to be laid on me. Nor have I ever wished that after the appalling First World War, a second war against England or even against America should ever break out. Centuries will pass away, but out of the ruins of our towns and monuments, the hatred of those whom we have to thank for all this will always grow a new international jury and its henchmen. Three days before the outbreak of the Polish-German war, I again proposed to the British ambassador in Berlin a solution to the problem, similar to that in the case of the Saar district under international control. This offer also cannot be denied. It was only rejected because the leading circles in English politics wanted the war, partly on account of the business hopeful, partly on the influence of propaganda organized by international Jews. After six years of war, which in spite of all setbacks will go down one day in history as the most glorious, valiant demonstration of any nation's life purpose. I cannot forsake the city which is the capital of this Reich. As the forces are too small to make any further stand against the enemy attack at this place, and as our resistance is gradually being weakened by men who as deluded as they are lacking initiative, I should like, by remaining in this town, to share my faith with those, the millions of others, who have also taken upon themselves to do so. Moreover, I do not wish to form the hands of an enemy who requires a new spectacle organized by Jews for the amusement of the hysterical masses. Therefore, I've decided to remain in Berlin and of my own free will to choose death at the moment when I believe the position of Führer and Chancellor can no longer be held. I die with a happy heart, aware of the immeasurable deeds and achievements of our soldiers at the front, our women at home and the achievements of our farmers, our workers and the work unique in history of our youth who bear my name. And so just days after killing Mussolini, the American-controlled partisans hunted down and captured the famous American poet Ezra Pound, handed him over to the OSS, which is now the CIA, for interrogation, as Pound had opposed um, the bankers and as he had supported National Socialism, um, he was uh, in fact sentenced to death and uh, then ended up in the insane asylum uh, for 12 years. Uh, a man whose only crime was being a poet and having different opinions, Ezra Pound. Well, 8th of May, 
Germany surrendered uh, in the name of Karl Donitz, the admiral who was uh, the last uh, leader of Germany. And uh, sadly, there was no mercy for the German people who dared to defy the New World Order and for a time had actually defeated the globalists. And so Germany's nightmares began to unfold with a vengeful globalist communist alliance of evil that dwarfed the punishment that came upon Germany after Versailles. Between 10 to 15 million Germans died after the Second World War under the Allies, and this has been documented under Crimes and Mercies, for example, uh, and uh, also the uh, other losses, uh, books, and um, uh, hours after the German surrender, the Soviets published claims of gas chambers, which um, the forensic tests have, of course, uh, such as by uh, gas engineers looking and saying, you know, these could never be used as gas chambers, and uh, the Lauter report has documented that. And Adolf Hitler nearly smashed the New World Order and the bankers, and therefore he had to be portrayed in the public mind as the most evil, wretched monster of all time. And so all kinds of manner of things were claimed, which later got disproven, um, everything from shrunken heads to uh, Jewish skin being used for lampshades, uh, all kinds of things which aren't even believed or, or uh, claimed anymore by even the Holocaust Museum in, in Israel. Um, but pictures like of the Auschwitz soccer field and swimming pool and of the uh, soccer teams there and the facts of what actually happened. The execution uh, by hanging of all the top leadership of the Third Reich, um, absolutely unprecedented. And uh, the New World Order formally established with the United Nations under communist agent Olga Hiss. Uh, the uh, horrors of the atomic bombs dropped on Nagasaki and Hiroshima. Uh, the um, Soviet Union declaring war upon a beaten Japan. I mean, all these things, the the rapes and murders that took place under the Allies afterwards, it was absolutely horrific. And uh, the the abuse of the German people aftermath of the war, uh, it's been well uh, covered in health storm, uh, which well deserves uh, more attention. But the, the aftermath of the war is perhaps also due a special... Uh, attention. So perhaps we should continue next week with the aftermath of the war, because I think that would conclude our review of the bad war, the truth never told about World War II by M.S. King. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. Yeah, absolutely. We certainly can. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, this is obviously one of the episodes where it's very sad because we know how the war culminated, but I learnt some additional things from Peter and, of course, MS King today. Um, it's interesting that you bring up, um, obviously, Ezra Pound. Uh, I spoke to Eustace Mullins a couple of times uh, long before I started doing a show, spoke to him on the phone, ordered his books, and, of course, he was uh, one of Ezra Pound's protégés. And uh, Ezra had him go into the Library of Congress and investigate the formation of the Federal Reserve, which he did for his first book, Secrets of the Federal Reserve. Uh, that's what it, it's got under different names that, um, as it's been republished over the years. Uh, and he made the comment on a radio show that um, he was accused of being anti-Semitic for writing it, even though the book didn't mention the word Jew once. And that's always yeah. amusing when that happens because... Um, you know, I think there was something else recently where um, you know, people being accused of being anti-Semitic and they don't even mention that word. Um, what was that to do with? I suppose it happens so frequently. Um, 
my, my mind's blank now because I've got another uh, point to raise because you mentioned the books um, Crimes and Mercies and Other Losses. Uh, yes. James Bark, who I actually did have on the show back in September of 2017, that was show 436. Sadly, he's passed away now. Uh, he wrote those two books. They're also worth reading. And uh, Rick Adams, who passed away earlier this year. It's very sad, all these people... Uh, passing away in recent years who of course does the disclaimer at the start of the show uh, he had them on three times he was absolutely delighted that uh, I got them both in touch because that was uh, two books that he really you know thought were extremely powerful and, and of course we know that they are so that being said Peter I'll hand back to you just to let the audience know where they can find your work and how they can contact you and we'll close this one out yes so my personal email is peter at frontline.org.za, or as Americans would say, ZA. So it's peter at frontline.org.za, and our website is frontlinemissionsa.org, frontlinemissionsa, SA short for South Africa. So frontlinemissionsa.org. Also on Facebook, uh, Peter Hammond, or you can look for Frontline Fellowship. We'd love to hear from you. And, of course, if anyone is in Southern Africa, we'd like to link up, and we have all kinds of meetings and uh, events coming up this coming uh, Sunday we will be uh, live streaming our Reformation 500 celebration of Martin Luther's bold stand uh, at nailing 95 East to the church door 31 October so at 11 o'clock uh, South Africa time on uh, Sunday the 31st of October if anyone wants they can come onto our Reformation 500 Facebook page and uh, uh, follow our live stream as we celebrate our Reformation heritage Thanks so much, Andrew. God bless. Thank you so much, Peter. God bless you too. And folks, yeah, um, remember that. that that's going to be um, 10 a.m. UK time as of Sunday. And then uh, later on Sunday, the UK choc- clocks change. So, you know, go into one of these. I, I use these time and date calculators online. So just put in 11 a.m. South Africa time. Uh, this Sunday, and then you can uh, follow it live wherever you are in the world when you get the time it is in your part of the world. So uh, I've just remembered um, it was a Guardian article that uh, was accusing uh, anti-vaxxers of also being anti-Semitic. Um, so, yeah, I just thought I'd throw that one in because my mind had gone blank earlier. So that being said, you, I want to thank Peter so much for providing his excellent work and the real story behind the bad war by ms king part eight i want to thank mike for writing it we'll be back with you for part nine next week and until then folks have a wonderful day and bye for now